Hey, hello everyone and welcome to New Valley Church. I am so glad that you've joined us online. Uh, some of you are probably visiting with us, perhaps for the first time, and maybe it's the first time in a long time you've attended a church service, and we are so, so glad that you're here. Today, we turn to Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25, and I find this passage to be one that has strengthened my faith a great deal, and I hope it will yours as well. We mark important moments in our lives with meals. And for me, I can think of several meals that have stood out in my memory as momentous. Um, I think of the meal when I asked Becky out on a date and took her to an amazing restaurant and at the end of the evening asked her to marry me. Um, I think of the breakfast that I shared with my dad when I lived in Ohio and then that turned out to be the last meal that I ever shared with him before he passed away. I think of Thanksgiving tables filled with people that I love, my parents in town from Indiana and other family members and my sons and my dear wife and all gathered around a table. And I think of the laughter and the times that we spent together. I think as I look back on this time of quarantining, I will think of the many meals that I've shared with my own family around a dinner table, and, and I think that will stand out. And I know right now, I am looking forward to a meal in September when friends and family are gonna gather together to celebrate a wedding uh, between my son Jacob and his fiance, Lauren. And so today, Mark is sharing a story with us of what it looked like in the final hours of Jesus' life and the last supper that he, he celebrated with his disciples, which turned out to be the first supper of the Lord's Supper. The first thing I want to see in this passage is the meaning of the old meal, the Passover. Jesus' disciples asked him, where are we going to celebrate the Passover meal? And that is the entire reason that took them ultimately um, to Jerusalem, because uh, faithful Jewish people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover within the city walls. We also know, of course, ultimately that Jesus was there for a greater reason, because he was not only coming to celebrate the Passover, but to be the Passover. Jesus tells two of the disciples to go in the city and to follow a man who would be carrying a jar of water, and then um, there to tell him the teacher wants to know where the room is that has been prepared for him. And the two disciples that are sent ahead uh, went there to prepare the meal and to ready things. Now, what is the Passover? Why is it so important to our Jewish friends? Why was it so important for Jesus? In Exodus chapter 12, we read about the very first Passover. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, and it, it means to depart, think exit. The Israelites had been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. And God came to Moses, a Jew by birth, who was raised in Pharaoh's home. And he called Moses to be a redeemer, if you will, someone who would save his people from slavery. Moses eventually confronted Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and demanded that the Israelite people be free. This was more than 600,000 people. However, as you may know from the story, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not let the people go. 
until the final plague came, which was the Passover. When the Passover took place, God brought judgment down, taking the lives of all firstborn children and the people of Egypt. So what is this all about? We learn something in this passage, in this story about the Passover, about God's righteousness on the one hand, but our need for mercy and grace on the other. God brought judgment against Pharaoh for being hard-hearted against him, for not letting his people go. And he brought judgment then on the people of Egypt as well. But why don't the Israelites get judgment? Judgment comes down upon the Egyptians, but the Israelites are passed over. They instead receive mercy and kindness and grace. We live in a broken, fallen world that is sinful, has rebelled against God, has built a life apart from God, and all of us have participated in that. And there's a sense in which, as we live our lives, we have to remember that God is altogether holy and righteous And sometimes I hear people say, I want what's fair from God. I want what's just from God. And one of the things that we pick up from this story is this. We don't want justice when it comes in our relationship with God. Instead, we need his mercy and his kindness and his grace. Why don't the Israelites receive judgment in this moment? Is it because they're better than the Egyptians? Is it because they're more religious? Is it because they're better people in some way? And the answer is no. The reason that they were not judged, that God passed over them or leaped over them, is not because they were good or more moral or more religious, but because God provided a substitutionary sacrifice, a propitiation. God said each family should get an unblemished male lamb that was a year old, and they were to kill that lamb at twilight. It says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 7, Then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They were to sprinkle the blood of the lamb and put it around the entirety of the doorframe of their house, the, the door frame on either side and the lintel, the beam of going across the top of the door. They were to sprinkle the blood and the doorposts and, and everything, and then they were to eat the lamb. They were to eat the meal quickly with shoes on their feet and their belts fastened. Eat the meal and be ready because God was going to free them from their slavery and they were going to march out by faith with the Lord. Exodus chapter 12, verses 13 through 14 says this, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is what happened in the original Passover And this annual celebration of the Passover was so central to their faith. And it was so central to Jesus' faith as well, as the author of this great redemptive story. And he has been telling his disciples throughout the Gospel of Mark, the Son of Man must be handed over to the high priest and to the rulers, and that he will suffer and he will die. And now we are coming into the moment of his passion. The meaning of the old meal, 
We get a picture of that from Exodus chapter 12. And now let's look at the meaning of the new meal. So at the very core of the Old Testament, we have the Passover where the blood of a lamb covers the people in such a way that they are saved from God's judgment. There was a substitutionary sacrifice. Either a lamb dies on your behalf or your firstborn would die. So as Jesus travels to Jerusalem, again, he's coming into the city with the cross on his mind, knowing that he would be the Passover. The disciples and Jesus gathered in that upper room to celebrate this meal together. And during a Passover meal within the city gates, the father of the family or the one presiding over the meal would get up and bless the various elements of the meal and explain the symbolism of the meal and then distribute it to the family members and those gathered around the table. But when Jesus got up and blessed the elements, he went in a different direction. At first, he takes the bread and he says, take this. This is my body. In Hebrew, the concept of the body was more than just our flesh and outward physical presence, but symbolized the whole person. And so as we come to the Lord's table, we see that Jesus' body is for us and a completion of his giving of himself for us and that his death is for us. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And in the Greek, in the Bible, that word is eucharisteo. That's the phrase from which we get Eucharist, Thanksgiving, the meal of thanks. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the many. Jesus' death on the cross was not simply martyrdom, but was the means by which God was going to fulfill his covenant with his people throughout the Old Testament. And in every covenant, there was a shedding of blood. And this Passover meal, I hope you can begin to see, Jesus is now becoming the full fulfillment and completion of everything that the Passover meal throughout the Old Testament had been pointing to. All along, the first Passover and the, and the Passovers that came after that were all pointing to the day that God would provide a spotless lamb to take away the sins of the world. In Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 12, the, the author says this, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We see in a way that the first Passover was a symbol, a foreshadowing, and a pointing to the ultimate Passover when Jesus Christ would make a sacrifice that would truly cover our sins for all time. The disciples have gathered with Jesus. One would betray him, Judas. And around that meal, they're sharing a meal of bread and wine. But what's missing? Jesus and the disciples had made preparations for this meal. He had had a room readied. That man, uh, the owner of the home, made preparations. The disciples made preparation. I have to believe there was lamb in the meal, but 
None of the gospel writers mention the lamb, which is, would have been the central part of the meal. Why would Jesus celebrate the Passover but not offer his disciples the, the lamb? In the Gospel of John, the story begins with John the Baptist preaching. And John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was the final prophet of the Old Testament. And he's preaching about the coming kingdom and about Jesus. And as Jesus walked up to him, it says that, that John the Baptist cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's no offering of lamb now in this meal. There's no mention of the Passover lamb in the gospel accounts because they're wanting to point us to what John preached to us earlier, which is that Jesus is the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the whole world. And later the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You may say, well, it's easy for the New Testament to reinterpret Jesus as the Passover. Uh, but what about in the Old Testament? Is that really God's intent that Jesus is the full and final Passover? Listen to what Isaiah 53 said many, many years prior to the coming of Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The meaning of the old meal, the meaning of the new meal, and the final thing that I want us to see today is that this meal can change your life. This meal, as we meditate on it, as we experience the Lord's Supper together, can change your life first. It can deepen your faith by speaking to your mind. I've heard many people throughout my, my experience of being a pastor and being a Christian uh, want to disconnect reason and, and being reasonable with, with faith and saying that our faith really has nothing to do with the mind or the intellect. But I don't believe that to be true. I had a crisis of faith my freshman year in college, and I got to the place where I, I needed to know that there was good reason to have faith. And by God's grace, I, I picked up, up a copy of the book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And as I read that, I began to be so strengthened, not only in my heart and my emotions that Jesus is the Messiah, but I began to see with good reason there is to believe in Christ. This story strengthens my faith because it strengthens my faith in my mind, not just my heart. And when my mind and my heart agree that something is true, not just my emotions, not just my heart, but my mind says, yes, this is true, and my heart says this is good and beautiful and right, there is so much power there. Do you see how God has been telling faithfully and patiently a story of redemption throughout the Old Testament. And in, in many ways, Jesus is the full and final fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. That, that the Old Testament is pointing to him constantly in types and figures and shadows. But how beautifully this is done in the Passover. Do you see how clearly that Jesus is the fulfillment 
of the Passover from the Old Testament, that he is the Passover lamb. Whenever we see how the Old Testament points to Jesus, it's a fulfillment, our faith, and it establishes why we can believe with our mind. The next thing I want us to see is how this meal can deepen your faith and speak to your heart and your soul. When we take the Lord's Supper, there's a a very real temptation to go through the motions. And in churches like ours that take the Lord's Supper when we're not in quarantine every week, and there's a sense where we feel like, oh, I've done that before, and I'm just going through the motions. Our first two years of marriage, um, Becky and I lived in a very small apartment where I was attending graduate school. And out the back of our apartment, right across a lawn, about 50 to 25 yards from our house, was a train track that ran right through our backyard. And there was also a main street that went right, right past our apartment and over that train track. And so every day and all night long, trains would come through and they would blow their horn loudly as they would come past. And whenever we would have people visit us and stay in our guest bedroom, the next morning they would always say, how can you stand to live here? I wasn't able to sleep all night long. I was awakened by the sound of this train blowing its horn as it passed over the street. Um, The Lord's Supper brings a freight train of meaning and importance, but if we aren't careful to meditate on its meaning and its power, we can just sleep through it and not be awakened to its power and its reality. I heard one pastor say, you can starve to death even sitting at a buffet or a huge Thanksgiving meal if you don't stop and take and eat the meal. As we take the Lord's Supper, as we, as we worship together when we're able and take the Lord's Supper and we stop to meditate on the power and the meaning, let it speak to your heart. Jesus takes the bread and says, take, eat. He takes the cup and said, this is my blood, which is for you. When he says, take and eat, he means for us to literally take it and eat it, and to meditate on that reality. This is not just a religious rite or thing to go through from time to time. And whenever you hear a pastor say, this is the body of Christ, which is for you, I plead with you to stop and say, this is for me. Christ gave himself for me. His body was given for me. This is the Lamb of God. Whenever you hear a pastor say, this is the blood of Christ, this is the new covenant, which is for you, take, drink, I want you to say in your heart, this is Jesus Christ's blood for me. He is my substitute. He is my sacrifice. He is my lamb who takes away my sin.
His blood has covered me. God's justice and God's judgment will pass over me. It will leap right over me, just as it did the Israelites. Not because I'm good, not because I'm more moral than my neighbor, not because I'm religious and I'm going through this service and taking this meal, not because I'm sinless, but because God has been so merciful and kind to provide the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the whole world. And whether you've ever trusted in Christ before or not, this is available for you today. Perhaps you've never looked to Jesus Christ by faith. Perhaps you've never seen any good reason to believe. But I pray that God's Spirit would awaken your heart and your mind to the beauty and the glory and the truth of who Jesus is as Messiah. That for thousands of years, God has been telling a redemption story of how he would save the world through his son and how he did that at the cross of his son, Jesus. And he did that for the likes of people just like you and me. People who, on the one hand, would deserve his judgment, but have not received that. Instead, have received his mercy because of the goodness and kindness of God to us in Jesus One of the things that we believe about the Lord's Supper in our tradition of Christianity is that in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, we believe that the the Holy Spirit is present with us in a way that is unique. We believe in the real spiritual presence of God with us in those sacraments. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, would you listen for God's pardoning voice to say to you, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. Your sins have been passed over because of my sacrifice for you. Now, there is an elephant in this room today, an attention and a reality that in light of where we are in quarantine and not gathering together, we are fasting from the Lord's Supper. We're not taking about it. And that has felt very awkward to me to preach on this amazing beauty of the Passover meal and the Lord's Supper and then to say we have to wait until we can partake of that together again. I'll say this, I believe that relatively soon we will be able to gather in groups, perhaps larger than 10, less than 60 or 70, but in ways that we can social distance and and have some time to pray and be together and partake of the Lord's Supper. I believe that's coming soon. And I hope even more is coming soon. But we patiently wait. And as we do so, I want you to think back to the meal that I mentioned that I'm so looking forward to. My oldest son is about to be married. He's marrying, Jacob is marrying an amazing young lady named Lauren in September. And we are looking so forward to being together with friends and with family and celebrating a rehearsal dinner the night before the wedding. We've been making preparations for that dinner. We've been thinking about it. We've been planning it. We've been picking the meal. The next day, of course, will be the wedding itself, and we will have an enormous party at her family's house with an amazing meal and music and wine and drink, and there'll be dancing and celebration. And that meal is not here in my presence. We have to look for it in expectation. And as I think about it and talk about it even now, it's building longing in my heart and my soul how I look forward to that day 
when my friends and my family will gather to celebrate the wedding of my dear son. We too, as the body of Christ, get to imagine what's it going to be like when we get to gather again, even if it's in smaller groups, to see people face to face, to sing, to pray, to take the supper together. What a blessing that will be. Friends, let us fix our hope, our minds, and our hearts on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who has faithfully been the Passover for us, both our high priest and the sacrifice himself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us through your son, Jesus Christ, and all of the ways that he has fulfilled all of the promises in the Old Testament, that he is the Messiah, that you made good on the covenant of grace that you established with your people Israel. And Lord, we long for the day that we would share in the marriage supper of the Lamb together with the risen Messiah, ourselves risen together with union with Christ and with you as our God for all of eternity. And we long for the day on this earth when we can return as the people of God and celebrate worship physically together and the Lord's Supper. Lord, we long for that day. Would you be with your church? We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.